Thanks, bro. Hey, well, hold, come here for a second. Come here. Come here. Um, hey, first of all, hi. Uh, if this is your church, would you raise your hand? You know, so it's like where I go to church, okay? Um, I am really happy to be here. I've loved this church, been here before. Um, and, um, and I just want to say this. Since the last time I was here, you have a brand new pastor, okay? And what I want to say is this. I know this guy. I've known him for a long time, okay? And you, he's actually a person that when he speaks, he means what he says when he teaches the Bible, and he lives what he says when he's not around here. In other words, you've got a, you have a pastor who's got integrity. He loves God. He loves God's word. He loves his wife. He loves his children. Uh, I mean, I hope you know how fortunate you are to have this guy. There are some mega churches that wish they had that kind of character in their pastor, okay? And so I wanted to publicly say, y'all are lucky to have him. Okay, well done. Um, the, um, uh, the other thing I want to say is this. Um, Jack Hamilton, are you in here? Anybody know Jack? Yeah. Uh, he's way back there in the back where all the troublemakers sit. Um, Jack's been here for a long time, like since before the Earth's crust hardened when dinosaurs were roaming the room. Um, last week, Jack was up at a conference at our church called Thrive. We bought him his first Bible, so he's going to be much, much better. Okay. Um, now, uh, I'm Ray Johnson. I am thrilled to be here, but I'm going to come out swinging. Is that okay? Okay, good. Would you reach in, grab your message notes, and while you're grabbing their message notes, I'm going to start politically incorrect. Okay, and the first thing I want to say is this. Raise your hand if you're here tonight. Jack, these are bright people, okay? Um, raise your hand if you have not moved out of the state of California. You know where the last Christians left in California? Okay, and, um, and what's interesting is this, and I actually have felt like I would, I'm on a one-man crusade to stop Christians from moving out of California. I get why they would. Our government's lost its ever-loving mind, okay? Um, however, okay, the, um, this is the most influential state in the most influential country in the entire world. You would think Christians would be running here to reach people for Christ, reach every community. Wouldn't you think so? Okay, I keep looking for this verse. The Bible says, it's tough, run, can't find it. Nehemiah went, it's tough over there, I'm moving there, okay? We just set a goal at Bayside, we're gonna launch 100 churches in the next 10 years, 80 of them in the state of California, and we're gonna recruit people from Texas and Tennessee to move here to launch these churches, okay? So, um, so now here's what I wanna say, and this is gonna be really politically incorrect. Y'all ready? Here it is. I know books have been written with titles like Loving God When You Can't Stand the Church, and The Church, Why Bother? Okay, and the church hasn't always gotten it right. Okay, however, uh, here's my statement. Y'all ready? I love Christ Church. I love the church, and I know that sounds like a nerd thing and politically incorrect and all of that kind of stuff. But let me tell you why. Okay, I grew up outside the church. Okay? I was raised in an executive jet set family in Southern California. My dad was a, he was president of a company at age 40. Um, he was a big deal. Guys wanted to run my dad for governor of California. He turned him down and they ran a guy named Ronald Reagan instead. So that's kind of the, that's the family I grew up in, okay? My dad was an atheist. I was an atheist. My mom was probably an agnostic or something. It never came up, okay? And um, so I ended up, I grew up being an atheist. 
And matter of fact, when I was 18 years old, I talked the guy out of becoming a Christian, which does not look good on the pastor's resume. And then right before college, a church, this, my best friend hauled me to this church and kept bringing me back to that church. And after six months, I realized, man, Jesus is who he claimed to be. There is more historical evidence that Christ rose from the dead than that Napoleon ever even lived. And, I'm, and I committed myself to Christ and every single thing has changed, okay? And matter of fact, and here's why I love the church. Okay? It was the church that led me to Christ when I was trying to talk their people out of becoming a Christian. It was the Christian church that taught me the Bible. It was the Christian church that helped, that healed my image of God, healed my image of myself, and healed my image of marriage. And it's a very good thing that my image of marriage got healed because my mom and dad both ended up becoming alcoholics. My dad became an alcoholic rageaholic, okay? Matter of fact, when, uh, just when I was in high school, part of what I was doing is I had two younger sisters. They would be screaming so bad and it would get violent occasionally. I would take the screen out of the window and my two sisters, Sisters, younger sister would come right in. I'd hop out, get them out, and at one or two in the morning, we'd be walking the streets where we lived until our home was safe to go back to. Okay, that's what I grew up with. Okay, my mom and dad ended up getting divorced. Okay, and which was no surprise because both of their parents were divorced. Both sets of grandparents after that were divorced. My mom had two sisters, married and divorced. Same thing on my dad's side. I've got two sisters. One has been married and divorced three times. And, um, and here's the deal. The reason I'm telling you all this is this, okay? I go to a church. The church introduces me to Jesus. The church heals my image of myself and God. The church sets me free from my past, okay? And then what happened is this. It was the church that taught me about family in a way I'd never heard, okay? I, my wife and I, in September, we'll celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary, okay? Which is the longest running marriage in the history of my family tree, okay? Matter of fact, we have taken my entire family tree, we cut it down, and we're using it for kindling to build a whole new deal, okay? Anybody else with me on this kind of stuff? Is you're a first generation, let's build the kingdom of God and we're gonna start with our own family. And by the way, and it was all because of the church. The church let me discover my gifts. It was in the church where I was called by God to do what I'm doing. It was the church let me lead worship one time. And it was the church that taught me I should never ever do that again to the glory of God. Okay? And here's what I want to say. The Christian church doesn't always get it right. Would you agree? But when God's church gets it right, there is no more powerful force on this sorry planet for God and for good than the Christian church. Okay? And the reason that's such a big deal is this. Christians these days in America, they don't get it. Jesus said this, the verses that I warned you, I'm gonna come out swinging. Jesus, Jesus said this, I will build my church. Now I'm gonna pause right here, okay? What did Jesus say he was going to build? Okay, let's just try This half of the room loud. What did Jesus say he was gonna build the? Okay, y'all can do better than that. You're all ready? What did Jesus say he was gonna build the? The church, okay? Now, 
You and I are called to follow Jesus, which means we are called to build the things he builds. If Jesus is building the church and I'm supposed to do what he does, my life should be centered around building the church of the living God because it's the only thing that will transform people. Make sense? It's more important than almost anything. Matter of fact, Jesus, some of you are going, I don't know, I'm kind of discouraged about the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So all I'm gonna do tonight is a simple message. I'm gonna cover a lot of verses, uh, but all I wanna do is this. I wanna tell you why your church is a really big deal. Why this church is a really big deal to God and a really big deal to everybody in this community and a really big deal for every marriage in this community and a really big deal for every kid in this community and a really big deal for every, literally every parent in this community. This church is a really, really big deal. The problem is nobody ever says any of this stuff. Everybody bashes the church, nobody ever backs it up, okay? Y'all ready? I wanna tell you why your church is a big deal. Number one is this, the, the church is the place where people meet God. Amen. The church is the place where people meet God. Jesus said, where two or three or a lot gather in my name, I am there. Jesus is here tonight, ready to work in your life, okay? Let me give you another great verse, okay? Psalm 34 said this, I sought the Lord and he delivered me. Anybody need to be delivered from anything? Discouragement? hopelessness, sleeplessness, anxiety. And these things are epidemics. I sought the Lord and he delivered me and rescued me from all my fears. Look at this. They looked to him. A worship service is designed to get your eyes off everything and back on. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. Why is that a big deal? When you strengthen your faith, you strengthen your life. When you strengthen your faith, you strengthen your future. When you strengthen your faith, you strengthen your family. And divorce and family stuff is an epidemic right now because people are trying to strengthen their marriage before they strengthen their faith and they have no power to strengthen their marriage. Where do they find power to strengthen their marriage? Right here in the, the church of the living God. Okay. I mean, maybe the better way to do this is this. We have a lady at our church that told me this story. This is awesome, okay? Did any of you have a, um, any of you have a, like a really loud, rambunctious, out of control kid? Let me see your hand, if you had one of those, okay? Whole bunch, raise your hand if you were that kid. <laughs> Same group of people that raised their hand a minute ago, okay? Um, well, this lady said, last week I took my whole family to a fancy restaurant table right in the middle, tablecloth, beautiful place, expensive restaurant. And she said, I made a major mistake. My youngest son, the loud kid, was at the head of the table. I'm sitting right next to him. And he said, hey, mom. And the whole restaurant heard him say this, okay? He goes, hey, mom, can I bless the food? And she said, before I could say no, he folded his hands, bowed his heads, and out loud prayed the loudest prayer you've ever heard. And he said, dear God, Thank you, Lord, for the food and the fork and the napkin. And now the whole restaurant, everybody's listening and they're laughing, okay? And the plate and the knife. And Lord, and here's his last part of the story. He goes, and Lord, I will thank you even more when mom gets me ice cream for dessert and liberty and justice for all, amen. That's this kid's prayer. Well, this lady said, 
along with laughter from the whole restaurant, she said, an older woman over in this section, out loud, one of those bitter, angry, vinegar for lunch women, <laughs> out loud said, kids today asking God for ice cream, why I never, that kid's a disgrace. The whole restaurant heard this word. <gasps> and she said, my son started sobbing next to me. And I wrapped my arms around him and he looked up with tears streaming on his face and said, did I do it wrong? Is God mad at me? She says, as I held my son and assured him God was certainly not mad at him, the whole restaurant's dead quiet now and they could hear him crying. An older guy from the same section, different table, same section, got up and walked all the way slowly across the restaurant. Looked, stopped, leaned down on our table, pointed at my son. And she thought, what now? Pointed at my son and said, young man, and a whole restaurant's here in this too. Young man, I happen to know God. And I happen to know that God thought that was a fantastic prayer. And the kid dries eyes and says, really? And he looked over and he pointed to the lady and said, too bad that old bat doesn't ask God for ice cream. <laughs> and then some of you should amen this, okay? He said, you know, a little ice cream can be good for your soul sometimes. Amen. Well, this lady said, at the end of dinner, I bought my son the biggest bowl of ice cream they would bring him. They set it in front of him. His eyes got really big like saucers. And then without a word, he picked it up. He walked over the restaurant. He set it down in front of the lady. And he said, here, lady, ice cream's good for the soul sometimes. My soul's good already, so this is for you. Is that great or what? The, um, when she... When I heard that story, I thought, that's exactly right. The most important thing about you and your future and your emotional health is what condition is your soul in? And the purpose of the church is to... Now, I also want to tell you why your church is more important than any church has been for thousands of years. Because our culture... And y'all, by the way, y'all awake? I'm going to check with you. Everybody here? We're actually going to try this, okay? Um, I'm going to be covering a ton of material. So occasionally, I'm going to look at them and say, are you all still with me? And you will out loud, loud, say yes, okay? You ready to practice? Are you with me? Yes! Okay, good, okay? Um, and if your husband falls asleep, wake him up, make him say yes. Now, America, would you agree our country and our culture is in trouble? Yes. It's crazy, okay? Why? Because for the last seven decades, we've lost something you cannot afford to lose. And I'm gonna put it on the screen. You can write it in underneath this. This is why the, meeting God at a church is so important. And here it is. Number one is this. In the 1950s, and by the way, anybody around for the 1950s? Okay, come on. Okay, all right. In the 1950s, here's what happens. Americans lost innocence. They lost innocence. And it was the explosion. It came home from World War II. America exploded, rock and roll, all this kind of stuff. And Americans lost innocence. Playboy magazine sprung up, all this stuff. And Americans lost innocence. Now, that was the 1950s. Was anybody around for the 1960s here? 1960s. Does anybody remember the 1960s? Okay. Uh, in the 1960s, Americans, here it is, lost authority. 
okay? The 1960s, Americans lost authority, and what happened in the 60s was it was, it was the anti-war stuff, it was all kind of stuff, and Americans threw out all respect for authority, respect for police authority went out the window, respect for biblical authority running around the window, and America has had a lack of respect for authority ever since the 1960s. Now, 1970s, who was around for the 1970s? Yeah, it was the ugliest dress decade you've ever seen, okay? Um, 1970s, Americans lost love. It was the free love decade, okay? And one social scientist said this about the 1970s. In the 1970s, Americans starving for love settled for sex, and it's never gone back. The 1980s rolled around, okay? And in the 1980s, Americans lost, along with all sense of style, Americans lost their values, okay? The number one movie, by the way, of the 1980s was a movie called Wall Street, starring an actor named, anybody remember? Bingo, Michael Douglas, okay? And in that movie, he said, greed is good. That was the theme of the 1980s. Greed is good. Matter of fact, you don't think that affected Christians and the church? Check church tithing records. Before the 1980s, most Christians tithe. After the 1980s, most Christians tip. Three people got that. Um, now, in the 1990s, the 1990s, by the way, it was a crazy decade. The Murrah Federal Building was bombed. Terrorism hit the heartland of America. In the 1980s, Americans lost, lost faith. And here's what they lost faith in, and it's never gotten back. They lost faith in the future. And for the first time, y'all still with me, by the way? Yes. Good. For the first time in American history, after the 1990s, when they asked Americans, kids, do you, will you do better than your parents? For the first time in the history of this country, kids said no. You know what the problem with that is? Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Okay? Now, the 2000s rolled around. Okay? Who's here? It might be all of you. Who's here for the 2000s? Most of you there. Okay? Um, it started with Y2K. Remember that? I mean, it was crazy. It started with Y2K, then 9-11 hit, then the economic crash hit. And, I mean, it was just a nut thing. It was a, in, the night, in the 2000s, Americans lost security. They lost security, okay? And they have felt, right, they have, the average American now is more financially insecure than they have ever been. They are more afraid of the future than they have ever been. And they are more afraid of civilization is more dangerous than the wilderness now in America, okay? Now, the 2010s rolled around, okay? Who was alive for the 2010s? Better be every hand in there, good job, okay? In the 2010s, here's what happens. All these things combined, and Americans lost hope. Americans lost hope because when people don't believe in the future, they have hopelessness about the future and no power. Now, we're only three years in to the 2020s. And here it is. Americans lost, well, we don't even know yet, but a whole bunch of stuff. Watch this. Raise your hand if your last three years, COVID, blah, all this stuff, have not been your favorite three years. Yeah, it's insane. Now, here's why your church and you all, every single one of you said, I will spend the rest of my life building my church. Here's why this matters so much, okay? It matters because if you put all those things up, innocence, authority, love, values, faith, security, and hope have all been erased from our culture. Now, let me ask you a question. Do people need these things? 
Yeah, how do you build a great marriage without innocence, authority, love, values, faith, security, and hope? Um, tomorrow, matter of fact, even if you're not a parent, I would encourage you, just give us your afternoon, okay? Kids, how do you raise healthy kids in a country that is so screwed up that they can't find innocence, authority? How do you raise kids without authority? How do you raise kids without love? How do you raise kids without values? Kids are growing up without values these days. It's insane, okay? The state of California has shifted from educating kids to indoctrinating kids, okay? I mean, it's, now, here's my question. All these things are essential, wouldn't you agree? Okay, Everything, every one of these things is absolutely essential, okay? You can't get them from our culture anymore, and you can't get these things from our educational system anymore. Where's the only place you're gonna get them? A relationship with the living God. In other words, how do I find for innocence? The forgiveness of God. How do I find authority? The word of God. Where do I find love? The love of God and the love of God's family. Where do I find values? The word of God. Where do I find faith? The worship of God and the word of God and the church of the living God. Where do I find security? The embrace of God and knowing no matter how tough things are, I'm gonna love my next billion years, okay? Where do I find hope? The promises of God. We have in this church, we have every single thing that has been ripped away from people. We have it. It's free. Come on in here. This is why you build the church of God. Make sense? This is a really big deal. By, by the way, I got to keep going here. We're going to be delivering you breakfast in here. Okay, number one. Number one is this, okay? Why does your church matter? Number one, because it's where people meet God. And that is a really big deal because we are the people with all the answers. Number two is this, okay? It's where people find grace. The church is where people find grace, the forgiveness of God, let your past go. Now, I wanna try an experiment here, okay? If you're over 20, and there's gotta be at least one person in here, probably you. Um, if you're over 20, or no, definitely Jack, um, if you're over 20, would y'all stand up? Everybody below 20, stay seated and just watch this, okay? Okay. The, um, while you're standing, okay, put your right hand up and repeat after me, I promise. To be honest, I'm in church after all. Okay, I'm gonna read a simple couple statements and if this is true about you, sit down. Sit down if you were ever kicked out of a youth group retreat or sent home from school because of misbehavior. Sit down. There goes half the front row, okay? I, okay, you sinner, stand back up. We're gonna give you one more try, okay? Oh, no, everybody stand up. Come on, we'll give you one more try, okay? Sit down if you did drugs or drank alcohol in high school. Sit down, watch this. Okay? Sit down if you actually made out with one of the other youth group kids on a church event or retreat. Sit down. Okay? Sit down if when somebody has said, Every head bowed and both eyes closed. You kept one or both eyes open and peeked. Sit down. <laughs> stay standing, stay standing right there and right there. All, people, church, all I do is read four simple sins and the only four people left standing are pathological liars. Can we have a round of applause for these people? <laughs> now, the, um, there 
is nothing that will restore your life like knowing you are forgiven. Matter of fact, check, check these verses out, okay? Um, Paul says in Philippians, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what lies ahead. And Paul writes to the Romans and says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And just, here's what I wanna say, okay? Your background of failure, couldn't, God couldn't care less. God couldn't care less what your background is. God couldn't care less how many times you have let him down or sinned or you keep saying, I can't beat this thing. God couldn't care less what your background is. He is very interested in your future. Everybody got that? Because the church and the cross is where people find grace. Well, where do you find God? Where do you find grace? The church of the living God. There's a third reason your church is a really big deal. And there it is. It's where people discover truth. It's where people discover truth. Acts 2.42 describes what should happen in the church. And it says this, they devoted themselves, and the first thing is this, to the apostles' teaching. In other words, the church is devoted to teaching God's truth to people. Now, why? Why does that matter? Okay, just look up here. Nobody lives well, loves well, or leads well until they think well. Wouldn't you agree? So the starting point for thinking the starting point for any of those things is to think well, okay? Maybe the best way to, and the problem is us. I grew up assuming this wasn't true, okay? And matter of fact, I, um, I was speaking in the San Gabriel Valley, Southern California, big old teenage conference, okay? About this room this size, packed with teenagers, and I'm speaking, I get up, and I'm, I'm wrapping this thing up, and then afterwards, all these teenage kids come up to talk to me. Now, these are Southern California Valley kids, okay? And you know how they talk. As this one dude comes up, he's a high school sophomore, so of course he knew everything. And, um, and he comes up and he goes, hey dude. And I go, hey dude. And he goes, um, he goes, dude, like that was like an awesome talk. I go, thanks dude. And he goes, dude, you're like an awesome speaker. And so I decided to use his language. I said, dude, like thanks. And he goes, no dude, really, like you're an awesome speaker. I said, dude, like thank you. And then he goes, dude, like, there's only like one problem like. And I go, you ever met a teenager talk like this? And I, and I go, dude, like, what's that? And he goes, dude, like, the Bible's not true. And I go, dude, really? He goes, yeah, dude, like, the Bible's not true. And I took my Bible, threw it away, and went, dude, bummer, I'm gonna have to quit my job. And he looks at me and he goes, dude, really? And I go, yeah, dude, here, let me have that thing back. Thank you. And I go, I go, I got my Bible back and I said, dude, like, show me which parts in here aren't true. And he goes, uh, and I go, dude, like, have you ever like read it? And he goes, dude, like, no. And I go, dude, like, do you have any idea what's in it? And he goes, dude, like, no. And I go, here, I hand him my Bible, I go, dude, like, show me one thing in here that's not true. And he goes, um, do like, I can't. So I look at this kid, I really like this kid, by the way, he's cool. And I looked at him and said, dude, like, so what you're like telling me like is that a book you've never read, have no idea what's in, you're absolutely convinced isn't true. And he looks at me and he goes, dude, like, does that sound stupid? I go, you make the call. 
okay? Now, I like that kid because I was that kid. I was that kid, okay? And a lot of people were like me. There was a French skeptic named Voltaire. Have you heard of him? They made you read him in high school, okay? Voltaire made this statement. During my lifetime, the Bible will become extinct. Then Voltaire died. He became extinct. On the 50th anniversary of his death, the American Bible Society bought his home and has been printing Bibles in it ever since, okay? The, um, it is the church where people meet God. It is the church where people find grace. It is the church where people discover truth. And lastly is this, it is the church of Jesus Christ where people actually find purpose. It's where people find purpose. I love this phrase. Romans chapter 12, verse 11 says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, okay? Now, I also love this next verse, okay? Um, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. You can look at all the stuff. I'd memorize every one of these verses down here. It says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up our meeting together. I'm gonna, by the way, can I say this thing? The Bible says, don't give up meeting together. COVID trained people to live the opposite way the Bible says to live, okay? And it says this, let us, we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up. And then he says, as some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, you know what's sad about this? <clears throat> These four things. Do people need God? Yeah, because they need those seven things and a relationship with God that come to them, okay? Do people need grace? Yeah, look at the person next to you, okay? Do people need to discover truth? Nobody lives well loves well, or leads anything well until they think well. And the only way to think well is thinking the smart thoughts of God, okay? And people, people need purpose, okay? One of the saddest things about every community in California is so many people in our community have a lot to live on and nothing to live for. And that's tragic. And churches, I'm sure it's different here, but churches these days are packed with people that are spectating instead of serving, tipping instead of tithing. They're not doing anything hard. They're not leading people to Christ. They're not all this kind of stuff. They're just not doing any of this stuff, okay? And that's why I, came, I warned you, I was gonna come out swinging. By the way, y'all still with me? Yes. Good, okay? Because this last one's a big deal. Why is it, why is it God's people aren't serving? Why is it the vast amount of Christians will never invite anybody to church? By the way, the odds any of you invite anybody to church next week and bring them here is like 1%. Why is that? They, why is it Christians aren't tithing? Why is, why is that? And you know what it is? Most Christians aren't tithing, serving, taking risks, or doing that stuff. And you know why? America has a new idol. And I couldn't wait to get to this because this has been bothering me and I couldn't wait to get down here and let it bother you. Hey, <laughs> y'all ready? There's a new idol in America and it's not hedonism, materialism, humanism. It's not, they're around, okay? There's a new idol in America and you know what it is? It's a Christian idol. You know what it is? Here it is. And COVID made it way worse. It's the idol 
of safety. Play it safe. We got kids in our community, they, haven't been, they don't go outside till age 12. Helicopter, I mean, all this stuff. And so I made a list. Would you agree with this? Uh, we are the most bike-helmeted, seat-belted, airbagged, hand-sanitized, knee-pad-wearing, peanut-avoiding, gated community, gluten-freed, hyper-insured, sunscreen-slathering, massively medicated, password-protected, inoculated, vaccinated generation in history. And all it's done is make everybody more afraid of everything. And the problem is this. Now, I'm not advocating take stupid risks for the sake of taking stupid risks, okay? That's dumb. But what I'm saying is this, the idol of safety is destroying our faith. Would you agree? Yes. Okay, and the problem is this, it's an illusion. It's a, you can play, by the fact, raise your hand if you locked your car tonight when you got here. Good, look around, probably smart, okay? Raise your hand if you locked your front door on the way out, Okay, yeah, I mean, so I'm not, I'm not advocating, you can lock your car door, you can never serve, you can never tithe, you can never do anything, you can die with a full bank account without building the church, you can, you, can, you can play it safe with your money and your time, you can play it safe, never take a risk, never serve, never give, never do anything, you can play it safe, and you can still die in a stupid freak accident, would you agree? Yes. This is awesome. So I Googled stupid freak accident. <laughs> I'm just gonna give you two. True story, in London, at the turn of the century, a giant vat of beer exploded and a 25 foot wall of beer spilled out into the street and eight people drowned in beer. <laughs> Some of you are out there going, if you gotta go, that's my way, okay? Um, in 1910, in Boston, Massachusetts, a giant vat of molasses exploded and molasses oozed out into the street, killing 21 people. Apparently, 21 very slow people. You know, oh, molasses, walk for your lives. The, um, and um, I've made a couple lists, here they are, okay? Most Christians never give, why? It might not be safe. Most Christians never serve, might not be safe. Most Christians never share their faith, never take a stand, never make an impact, all for one reason, it might not be safe. safe. What does that do? Playing it safe shrinks our lives, shrinks our faith, shrinks our impact, shrinks God, and leaves us with shrunken up, shriveled hearts, and then we will die, and we will spend billions of years in eternity wondering why a great big God with all the power gave us one life, one life, to make an impact in a short period of time, and we wasted the entire thing hiding and quivering with fear. People, we've got to turn this around. Here's the problem. I'm a recovering coward. I'm a recovering fearaholic. I wrote a book called Jesus Called He Wants His Church Back. And it was a call to actually live the way Jesus said to live instead of just wearing a cross. And I wrote an entire chapter in there called If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Off Your Couch. <laughs> and in there, every single thing I just told you about stop playing it safe was in this chapter. I finished this chapter on a Friday, okay? Now, it's Monday morning, so of course, I forgot all about that chapter. And this is embarrassing, embarrassing to tell y'all. My phone rings. 
okay? And it's a friend of mine. And we had helped this guy launch a ministry in Cambodia. Get this. The two towns in Cambodia, this guy, typical like y'all, was living in the U.S., felt this burden. Moved, he moved, he and his wife, to Cambodia. The two towns they moved to in Cambodia, Siem Reap and Spapak, Cambodia, both towns, almost 100% of the girls in each one of those towns were sex trafficked. Almost 100%. Some of those girls sold out seven times a night, some as young as four years old. And they went and they rescued about half the girls in each town, led them to Christ, got them in Christian safe homes, all of this kind of stuff. And then, now, it's a Monday morning, he calls me and he goes, hey, Ray, you got some time? And I said, for you always. And he said, this just happened. He goes, I thought I was getting thrown out of the country or arrested. The general over all sex trafficking for our region called and the general said, I need to see you in my office. He said, I said goodbye to my wife. I thought I'm probably getting thrown out of the country or arrested. He said, I went in, I sat down. I must've looked nervous because he said, hey, relax. You're one of the good guys. He said, why am I here? And the general said, the cops in Cambodia are so corrupt. We have an entire task force that has, we haven't made, we haven't rescued a girl in 10 years, haven't made any arrests. He goes, because every time we show up at a brothel or any of that stuff, all the girls are gone, all the pimps are gone. He goes, he goes, it's just so corrupt here. My buddy says, what are you gonna do? He said, he looked at my, he looked at my friend and said, I wanna form a SWAT team of some Cambodians I trust and some Westerners you trust. We will form a SWAT team. We will train them, equip them, and we will do some real raids and arrest some really bad guys and free some girls. He said, are you up for it? What would you say? My buddy said, absolutely. What do you need? And he goes, here's the problem. This is Cambodia. He goes, it's gonna cost at least a quarter million, $250,000 to get this launched. Do you know anywhere we can get $250,000 fast? And he goes, yeah, this is crazy church called Bayside. Let me call Ray. <laughs> and he goes, so can you get me a quarter million dollars fast? Now, three days before I'm writing, don't play it safe. safe. But I forgot about that. This is exactly, it's embarrassing to tell you all. This is exactly what I told this guy. Man, I am really sorry, really sorry. But I said, we just raised money in our church for six weeks. And I'm afraid if I mention money again, they're gonna throw me out of here. We raised a ton of money, gave it away. I said, actually said this. I said, it's at a better time. I said, it just doesn't feel safe right now. He goes, that's okay, I get it, you guys have been amazing. He goes, God will provide somehow. I hang up the phone. Raise your hand if you've ever had God on your back. Raise your hand if God's ever been on your back, okay? I'm miserable for 48 hours. Wednesday is our pastors, I call all of our pastors together and I tell them the whole story, SWAT team, all this kind of stuff. And, I, and our pastor, like, before I get to the point where I can tell them I said no, our pastor, like, that's awesome. What kind of cold-hearted jerk could say no to that? <laughs> so I call this guy back, and here's my strategy. I go, I'm gonna say, we'll do it. I just need a business plan. I figure that'll take him a month and a half, and that'll, get, that'll buy time for me to do this, and so I won't have to, it won't be a risk, okay? 
I said, hey, we're gonna need a full business plan. He goes, okay, got it. An hour later, he texts me, the whole business plan is in your inbox. So I'm going, how do I do this? Well, we have Christmas Eve services just like you do up there, okay? And I literally, I went, we're gonna take a second offering in every Christmas Eve service and raise this money. So every Christmas Eve service, I got up, I told the story I just told you, and so we're gonna take a second offering, give as generously as you can, and I am here to tell you, our people did not give $250,000 on Christmas Eve. They did give over $400,000 on Christmas Eve. Okay, which we didn't keep a dime of. We sent it over there. And as of tonight at seven o'clock, what's happened because of that? A SWAT team was formed. They were trained. Matter of fact, the stuff we bought, we, you know, we're always used to like it passes. I need Bibles, I need basketballs. This is, they had a full on page. We need two surveillance vans, we gotta buy them. We need 25 bulletproof vests. We need buttonhole cameras to survey everything. We need bullets for Jesus. You know, it's all that stuff, okay? They put that SWAT team together, they train them, and folks, they sprung into action like do everything. And as of tonight, when your head hits the pillow, there are over a thousand girls have been rescued by this one SWAT team. And even better than that, there are over, there are over 100 really bad guys that are now in prison where they can never again hurt young girls, okay? And the entire thing almost didn't happen for one reason. What? No. Nope, me. It almost didn't happen for one reason, me. Because when I play it safe with my time and I play it safe with my money and I play it safe with my life, there are things God wants to happen that don't happen. For God's sake, for this community's sake, for your sake, for God's sake, don't waste the one life God's given you, okay? I wanna close with two verses. Todd, come on up. Here we go. The words of Jesus, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, stop playing, that, will actually find it. Now, I wrote an American verse. You ready? That's how we all live. Go into all the world and have successful careers and drive nice cars, and build big houses, and lead safe, respectable lives. First Hallucinations 316. We gotta pick a lifestyle, folks. All God's people said, amen. amen.